All right, uh, we are in Romans uh, chapter 8. We started last week. <clears throat> I'm going to go back a little bit on some of the verses that we've studied as I, I move uh, from one section to the next. But we'll, if you have your Bible, read Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by the sinful nature God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering, and so he condemned sin in sinful man. In order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the spirit. What a deep, deep set of verses there. Uh, as we understand, Paul is saying that God delivered us from the law. And last week I gave you the passage from Leviticus 16, and you got a good insight into what God required on the Day of Atonement. That was the law. Of course, nobody could do, live like that. Uh, and instead of the Jewish people coming to, uh, to God on their knees saying, God, we can't do it. We can't do it. We need a Savior. Instead, they elevated the law. Uh, as if it was some, in some way the law was going to save them. The law does not save you. The law indicts you. Uh, the only way you're going to be saved is through Jesus Christ. And so now, as, as Paul is speaking to us, we learn uh, that effectively this, the process of being delivered from sin is called justification. Our sin is justified by the death of Jesus Christ. All right, that's God has indicated that that is the propitiation to answer for your evil do, uh, thoughts and, and deeds. Here's the thing, uh, and, I, and I said this last week, but it's true, and you need to tell people because you'll hear people say to you, well, I lead a good life, really, you lead a good life. Well, here's the scorecard, and you tell me if this is the scorecard. The scorecard is this, 100, complete perfection is an A, 99 is an F. Oh, that seems, that seems so severe. Well, it's God. That's the righteousness and holiness of God. You fail in one point, you fail in all. Uh, and so it's important to understand that. So we must never forget that not only, really, not only have we been delivered uh, from the sin's condemnation of us as human beings, uh, but we've been delivered from ourselves. And I think, think about your own life, that as you've been saved and given God your heart, how, how your life has been changed. And we're going to talk about this. Because if you are not experiencing a change, a sea change, then you have to question whether you're saved. Because I can tell you this, that if you're changed, you're not the same man. You don't get as angry as you did before. You don't lash out. You don't speak the same way. God has uh, changed uh, the way you live. And so there's two things going on there. First of all, God has delivered you from the penalty of sin, which is death. Uh, but he's also delivered you from the power of sin over your own body. Understand that's critical to understand uh, our theology. These verses tell us that if we've been saved, and Paul would absolutely maintain this, if we have been saved, then our lives have been changed. We cannot be the same man we were before. Because if you are the same man, you have to question whether, in fact, you've been saved. Uh, and so here's the point that I would emphasize to you. If you are 
not living a new life in the power of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, it is not simply that you are a defeated Christian, but rather you are not a Christian. Let me repeat that, because this is big. This is the essence of what I want to deliver home to you today, and that is this. If you are not living a new life in the power of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, it is not simply that you are living as a defeated Christian. Rather, you are not a Christian at all. And Paul makes this very clear. There's only two classes. You're either in or you're out. And, you know, I hear people talk about the fact, well, Uh, they're carnal Christians. You've heard that, right? They're carnal Christians. Let me clue you in. That means they're not Christians, all right? I don't care what title you walk around with. Here's the thing. You may know who Jesus is. You may know what he did. That's head knowledge. The question is, do you have the heart knowledge? Have you taken him, put him in your heart, and made him your Lord and Savior? Uh, And so the only way that you can test what God has done is to see it in the evidence of your life. Amen? This is, this, and this is the truth that you are no long, longer under condemnation. Now, here's the thing. The Holy Spirit doesn't merely change us. The Holy Spirit gives us a new nature. You are a new man. You now have the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Jesus Christ within you. It gives you a new standing before God. God sees you now through the filtering lens of Jesus Christ. God sees you as holy. Can you imagine? Holy. Me, God? Yeah, not you, John, but you because you've accepted Jesus Christ. I see you through the filtering lens of Jesus Christ. And now we have become heirs with Christ. We have become the brother of Jesus Christ because of what he has done. Uh, And so, yes, Yes, we will experience what Jesus has suffered in some small measure. Yes, we will do that. That's part of the experience of what we go through. Uh, And Paul articulated that premise clearly as well. Now, this is a tremendous revelation for us today uh, as we walk with God. Uh, And it it shows you a lot about the, the decay of creation and man from the Garden of Eden. You need to understand what went on at the Garden of Eden. When sin came into the Garden of Eden, not only did man fall, not only did man, did man come to a position where he would die, where God never intended man to die, and not only did man lose that relationship of being with God and walking in the, gar- in the garden, but also the entire creation fell. How many times have you heard people say, how could God bring earthquakes? How could God bring hurricanes? How could God bring natural disasters? Well, let me ask you something. Do you honestly think God is in heaven saying, yeah, hit them with a good hurricane? That'll bring them to their knees. I mean, seriously, do you think that's what's going on? Instead, what's going on is Satan has caused the fall of man and the fall of this creation. It's Satan. This is his world. He still has power and control here. And so what's going on here is that you are experiencing the veritable fall of creation uh, because of sin. But, and here's the good news, I've read the entire book to the end. In the end, we win. You got that? Yeah. We win. 
We win, and God will come back, and God will correct, and it will all be taken care of in the end. God will someday correct all of this, uh, and what a great story that is. Uh, and so we must understand our relationship to the Holy Spirit. Uh, we must recognize that God wants you to live a holy life. Let me repeat that. He wants you to live a holy life. That means that you need to make decisions based on that, that you have to walk in holiness. It means that you have to have a place where you can go to worship. Yes, you need to go to church. I'm astounded when I hear people say, well, I don't feel like I have to go to church anymore. I don't really need you. No, you have to go to church. You need to find a church. You need to go to a place where you can pray and be prayed for. You need to elevate those there that need you there. You need to be able to have a place where God can speak into your heart. You can't do it locked up in your house or think you can get it by watching television. And frankly, so much of what I see on television is bad theology. Bad theology. Uh, but, you know, you need to find a God-worshipping church, a Bible-believing church, and they're out there. You need to find that and develop that. You cannot let sin reign in your mortal body. Now, what do I mean by that? I mean this. Here's the thing. You people are men of God. You're filled with the Holy Spirit. You are going to fall from time to time in sin. Uh, you're going you're gonna to make mistakes. Somehow, you're going you're gonna to sin. But here's the thing. When you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you're convicted. All right? You're convicted. You can't stay and wallow in sin. You understand? You, you fall. You pick yourself up. You ask God to forgive you, and you move on with your life. Uh, but you walk with God. You don't let it rain in your body. You don't have a continuing ongoing relationship with sin because you offer your bodies as a living sacrifice to God. That's what this is about. Your body is the sacrifice for God. That's what God wants from you. He wants your body. He wants everything that you have. That's what it's about as we understand this. Now, holiness is mandatory. Paul would tell us that. It's very clear. Uh, but so is discipleship. Holiness and discipleship together. And, and here's how you need to understand this in order to have a full and happy life. Uh, I define and divide Christianity into two experiences. Day one, day one and day two. Day one, you accept Christ Jesus. You make him your Lord and Savior. You become a Christian. Day one. So many people are camped out on day one. They never go to day two. And day two is you pick up the cross and follow him and walk with him for the rest of your life. Every single day of your life is carrying the cross and walking with Jesus, being his servant, being his disciples, walking with him, lifting people up, doing the will of God. Uh, and, and so the question is this, <clears throat> and this is important, that's discipleship, and I would say, ask you this, can you be saved without being a disciple? No, no. Because you haven't fully experienced everything that God has for you. He wants you to be a disciple. Uh, that day two experience is critical. It is mandatory to be a disciple in order to be a true Christian. We must be walking with Jesus Christ every single day of our life. 
We must be walking across, across, according to the Spirit of God. This becomes a critical issue for us, and Paul is really outlining this uh, in Romans chapter 8, understanding the depth of what we have with Jesus Christ, how he really has changed us critically. Now, what does this all say about the state of Christianity in the United States today? What does it say? Uh, if holiness is necessary, as I've just outlined it, how do we account for the unholy state of so many putative Christians? Uh, and, you know, surveys will tell you a majority of people will say they believe in God, uh, but less than one in five say that religion is the most important factor in their life. How about that? How's that for a disconnect? I believe in God, but only 20% say, say my relationship with God is the most important thing. A recent Pew survey found that while 63% of the population say they are Christian, 63%, only 30% say they attend religious services once a month. How about that? How can you be a Christian without going to church? How can you be worshiping God without showing him how much you love him? Don't you think that that expression of you to get up on a Sunday morning and go to church, spending those several hours in worship to God, is seen by God as the evidence of your heart? Don't you recognize that? Listen, I can tell you I spoke about this on Sunday. Uh, I cringe when I see heavy rain on a Sunday morning. It's Naples. Guess what? Half the church isn't coming in. Oh, my Lord, what would we do if, if we were under persecution? How would we act if rain keeps us from going to church? Uh, One-third, and this is a current, according to current survey, one-third of the U.S. adult population now say they seldom or never pray. How about that? One-third of the population never prays at all. Well, how do you expect to find out what God has for you, what his, what his will is for your life? The, the, the conclusions are clear. Americans are less religious today than ever before. And that's the call of God on your life. You people are committed to the Lord. I want to say to you that you have a responsibility to leave here and speak to others, to inspire them. Go back to your churches. I'm so pleased that I have men from so many different churches here. And here's the thing. Go back and make your church better. Go back and elevate your church. Go back and bring this spirit of God and the Holy Spirit back to your church and spread it so that other people hear it. Don't just sit there in a pew and let everything go by blithely. This is your chance to really make a, make a, a difference. Listen, religion ranks far below many other traits that parents would want for their children. Uh, and, and it's amazing because, you see, parents have great thoughts and great expectations of their children. They'd like them to be well-educated, have professional degrees, have a great marriage. Uh, and, and what does Gallup report? Gallup reports a lack of knowledge of the Ten Commandments, even by those who believe in them. Oh, I believe in the Ten Commandments. Well, can you give me a couple? Mm, not, not really. But I like them. They're good. Um, <laughs> And then Gallup found, and this is, this is really beautiful, Gallup found large numbers of people who claim to be religious, 50 to 60 million, who claim to be born again, mark that down, are actually a significant distortion. That's a shock. 
those for whom religion actually makes a difference is about 12%. How about that? So Gallup did this survey, and that's what you find. All right, yeah, people use these labels, but they have not really moved forward with God. Uh, and, and so what, it's interesting. What did Gallup find about that 12%? He found out that they had significantly happier lives. They experienced fewer uh, divorces. They had better family interpersonal relationships. Well, guess what? That's what happens when you follow God, uh, and you see the fruit of all that. Uh, why does, what does all of this suggest to us and as men uh, who want to serve God? It suggests that many who consider themselves Christians, uh, even in so-called evangelical churches, are not Christians. How about that? They're not Christians. They call themselves Christians, but Paul would not consider them uh, Christians. Uh, <clears throat> and, and they may profess the right thing, they may know the right thing, but they're not living the right thing. They have head knowledge, they don't have heart knowledge. Uh, and so clearly they are not on the right path to God. Uh, they are not following the Lord in holiness. The Lord demands holiness. The Lord demands that your life is in accord with his will. In summary, they are not born again. And I'll say it again. Uh, if you are not living a holy life, if your life is not in accord with the will of God, then you cannot be born again. Are you getting me in the back? Are you able to hear me? Okay. <clears throat> All of this points to the fact that we need a true revival in our churches today. Uh, and I believe that this starts with you as you go back to your church and you inspire your church. You have now heard the inspired word of God. You need to go back and lift other people up. Uh, and, and we study this as we've seen historically what's happened in the Great Awakening. Look, in these verses that Paul has talked about, these first four verses, you see his emphasis on assurance, the understanding of salvation. What does it mean uh, and how important it is? And so we emphasize that in a critical way, and we ask God to reveal it to our hearts uh, as we focus on what he's done for us. Um, and, and so here's, here's the point. Uh, the, the point of all this is to demonstrate that you are no longer under the jurisdiction of sin. You are no longer a slave to sin. Yes, you may fall, but you're going to get up and you're going to be convicted. Uh, you no longer have to sin. Well, the world does, but you don't, uh, and that's important. And yet our inherent human weaknesses, the flesh that we carry around, will cause us to fall from time to time. Look what Paul said in Romans 7, verse 18. Romans 7, verse 18. And he said the following, For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. Wait a minute. You've just written half of the New Testament. And you're telling me you can't do, you find it difficult to do what is good? You know what is good? Well, that's the nature of human beings. That's the nature of the flesh that you carry around. But with the Holy Spirit in you, you are guided. You are convicted. You are led. You are no longer a sin. You are no longer a slave to sin. 
and he continued to speak about that in Romans 6, verse 6, where he says, For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. There it is. When Jesus died on the cross, and he gave you life forever, and he gave you the new nature, you are no longer a slave to sin. You don't have to dwell in sin. Will you sin from time to time? Yes. But will you dwell and live and bathe in it? Uh, no, you will not, because you will be convicted. Uh, and, and then the critical verse found in Romans 12, verse 2, do not conform any longer to the patterns of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Do not be conformed. Don't look at what the rest of the world does. Don't be carried along in fashion because your neighbors are acting in a certain way or your friends are acting in a certain way or your speech patterns are brought about by the way other people speak. I, I, I'm so upset when I hear Christians, people who go to church, use foul language. We should never use foul language. First of all, it shows us as ignorant. There's nothing intelligent in the fact that you can curse. Some of you ought to give up golf. And I would say this, that if golf drags you down, stay home. Really, stay home. That's why when I play golf, I don't keep score any longer. All right? I'm playing par in my head. You understand? In my head, I, I achieve an elevated state of, of spirituality by, by doing that. And when I play golf, I'm praying. I'm speaking to God. All right? Don't conform yourself to everybody else. So, yeah, you're playing in a foursome, uh, and, and you know, they're gambling, uh, and they're, they're cursing, and you think, oh, i got to be one of the guys. No, don't be one of the guys. Stand with Jesus. Jesus was never one of the guys. Stand alone. Be that kind of person that at the end they look and they go, wow, what is it with you, John? What is it with you? All right? I don't see you getting angry or getting bitter or rash. I don't hear that language. Because you're not conformed. You're being transformed by the renewing of your mind, meaning you have the authority and the ability to change your mind. God gave you the spirit to do this. And that's important for you to understand this. It's critical as we, as we study these verses. Now, I want to move on to the next part of my study, which is verses 5 to 8 in Romans, as Paul continues this incredible study. <clears throat> Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. Well, there you have it. The sinful nature cannot please God. You need to control your minds. You have the ability to control your minds. Focus on those things that elevate God. Uh, it becomes important. Look, there's several things that he's emphasizing here. He's distinguishing those who live according to the flesh as opposed to those who live according to the spirit. Those who live according to the flesh are led by fleshly desires. 
carnal desires. You're, that's going to lead you down the wrong path. You need to be led by the Spirit of God. Elevate your mind. Elevate what you're thinking about. The mind uh, is governed, governed by the flesh is death. There it is. He's made it very clear that when you're focusing uh, on flesh, on, on humanity, you're leading to death. That mind control issue is a death issue. Uh, uh, but the mind governed by the Spirit of God is life and peace. Here's the thing. We all want peace, don't we? We all want peace in our life. Do you think you're going to get peace in your life by turning on the television and sitting there for 24 hours watching Fox News and seeing how many people are murdered? And by the way, I like Fox News, but I only take it in a dose of maybe two minutes. You understand? All right? I'll look for a headline here, a headline there, and I turn it off. I don't wallow in it. You understand? Because here's what happens when you wallow in it. Oh, my God. Oh, oh. 30 people got killed in a church today. Oh, there's been an earthquake. Another 50 people died. Oh, the tsunami has wiped out Indonesia. This is what happens when you wallow in the the worldly things. You give your mind to that, but instead if you pick up a Bible, oh, did he say pick up a Bible? Yeah, pick up a Bible or a Bible study or a book written to elevate your mind, then things change. And so Paul is making it very clear Uh, through this there are not three classes of Christians there are not there are only two those so-called Christians who are not living a godly life are not Christians it is irresponsible to argue that they're Christians yes they know who God is yes they know who Jesus is but they have not given them their heart this is a key point of understanding this chapter God expects you to give your heart to the Lord. You call yourself a Christian? You want to live with him? You want to be inspired by him? Then you have to give him your body. You have to give him your heart, everything that you can have. You cannot have the best of both worlds. Here, sin in this world, and heaven beyond, you know? That's how people want, you know, well, when I'm in Rome, I, I do as the Romans do, really? Well, then, then I hope you like heat and rags because that's where you're going to be headed. You understand? That's where you're going to be headed. Uh, Paul addresses here the carnal person. The carnal person. Uh, And carnal relates to those people elevating humanity, elevating the human condition. Uh, It's one thing it means is to be weak. It means to be weak. Oh, I can't help myself. I'm created this way. Have you heard that one? You know, this is how God created me. No, God didn't create you to sin. God created you to follow him. And he gave you the authority and the power to defeat that weak nature by accepting Christ and receiving the Holy Spirit. Uh, and so uh, this, it's important for you to know this. Uh, it, and, and being born again refers again to us having a regenerated and transforming work of the Spirit of God. All right? We need to keep that in mind. That's what Paul is sp- speaking about. The transformative nature of the spirit of god and paul is talking here about the difference between christians and those who are not and there is a gulf of a difference all right uh you are either saved or you're not and i would say this that if you know people that consider themselves christian even if they go to church but they're not living a godly life you need to kindly and lovingly bring that to their attention all right 
and I say kindly and lovingly. Don't say, you know, you're going to hell. <laughs> you're going to hell. And that's, you're never going to advance your, your position with that. But you ought to say to them, you know, have you ever considered what Jesus did for you? Have you ever considered what he did for you, what his death did for you, and what the impact of the Holy Spirit is in your life? Have you ever asked God to, to take that spirit and take control of your life? Have you ever asked God to make you more holy and more righteous, to convict you of sin? Now, when you talk like that in a loving way, you'd be amazed how people respond. They will respond. You ask them these questions, and they will respond. And I think that's what we have to do, all right? Because I know there are many people that I see who say I'm a Christian, and they're not. They're not walking that way. They're not walking with God. Uh, and so what is it that characterizes an unsafe person, according to Paul? Well, they're defined in four ways. And here you might be able to think of this. Uh, his thinking, his state of condition, his religion, and his present condition. And by the way, I will give you these notes uh, this coming week <clears throat> so you can have it and reflect on it. The first verse of this paragraph that we read concerns the unbeliever's thinking, right? Uh, Paul details those who live in the sinful nature and have their minds set on sinful things uh, and natural desires. They live in a carnal thought process. And what are those thought processes? Well, those kind of things relate to sexual promiscuity, uh, drunkenness, preoccupation with money, and materialism. How's that? Is that pretty good? All right? That covers the panoply of, of, of a lot of evil. There it is. That's what it is. Uh, and so... Uh, first thing I would say is if you're a Christian and you're stuck uh, on internet uh, promiscuity, all right, and internet evil, then for you, you may have to turn the computer off. Or you may need to have somebody be there with you. Perhaps your wife needs to sit next to you. How's that? Will that change how you act on the, on the internet? Oh, I think it would, right? Instead, what do we do? Some of us say, well, you get up at 2 o'clock in the morning and you go, you know, you go into your family room and you turn on the, the uh, computer. Nothing good is going to come at 2 o'clock in the morning. Can I say that, frankly? Nothing good. You know what happened if your kids would come in at 2 o'clock in the morning. What would you say? Nothing good is going to happen at 2 o'clock. Well, it's no different from you, and you decide to go into the family room and turn on the, the Internet. All right? You need, to, you need to be aware of this. That's a sinful nature that God doesn't want to see. Uh, and then we talk about drunkenness. Look, it's not... A sin to have a drink of alcohol. Oh, John, what have you just said? Oh, oh my gosh, I can't go to church anymore now that I heard you say that. You're an apostate. There's nothing in the Bible that says taking a, a drink of wine is a sin. But imbibing to the part, to the point where you lose control of yourself and you become drunk is a sin. All right? Let's make it clear. At the marriage of Cana, Jesus made the greatest wine in the history of the world. You understand that? He didn't make grape juice, all right? He didn't make unfermented fruit of the wine, which I've heard some good preachers uh, who are in denominations that believe with, with a wide brushstroke that it's a sin. They say this, and instead we look like fools. All I know is the master of the feast came out to Jesus, and what did he say? You, you, he said to the host, you have saved the best for last. Grape juice? That doesn't make sense. 
And so that's the point. The drunkenness is the sin, not the imbibing. And if you find that you can't imbibe without doing an excess, then you know what? For you, that is a sin. Uh, and so you need to do that. Then preoccupation with money. Preoccupation with money. This is a big deal. My dad would say, and I think he was right, that the, the test of whether a man is saved or not can be found in his wallet. Am I right? Are you saved? Are you saved? Well, let me see your wallet. Is it your, is it your wallet or is it God's wallet? Is it your money or is it God's money? Because here's the thing. When you accept Jesus Christ and the Spirit of God comes into you, what you learn is that everything you have is God's. I can't emphasize this enough to you, all right? And I'm not here pitching you to give me anything. I'm saying to you that when you come to that understanding, you recognize that everything you have is from God. So instead of sitting there with like a calculator and saying, all right, I'm going to tithe, all right, that's, uh, God gets nine cents, I'll keep the rest. Uh, oh, oh, hear this. And, and you rigidly look at that rule of tithing. As good and appropriate as tithing is, when you apply it in that doctrinaire fashion, it's not right. Instead, what you should say, Lord, how much of what you've given me do you want back? How about that? You think your life would be different if you acted like that? You think your life would be different? I can tell you that, that God has taught me that lesson from an early age, an early age that I understood that. Preoccupation with money is a deadly sin, a deadly sin. It's materialism, and, and it leads to narcissism. Uh, and so really, and then materialism, materialism. What a terrible sin materialism is. Meaning that here you are, you know, I know I hear people saying, well, I worked hard my whole life to get what I want. I deserve it. You deserve it. You deserve it. Uh, uh, instead of recognizing that God gave you that. God gave you that house. God gave you that car. God gave you that boat. God gave you that wife. And instead, you've elevated those things above the creator. Look, this is what God demands. He demands your worship and your holiness. Don't sit there and elevate those material things above God. Don't do that. God wants your heart and your worship. And yes, he'll pour more into your life, but that's what we need to think about. And so the sinful man, the carnal man, focuses on those things. And I would say this to you, because I suffered from a lot of these things. I had to ask God to take these desires away from me, and he did. He did. I asked him. And if you do, and you're a, a, a Christian, God will honor those things. Uh, but here's the thing. The sinful nature of man goes even further than that. And the good example of that is Paul. Well, Paul was not an immoral man as we understand immorality. He wasn't sexually promiscuous. He was not a drunkard. He was not preoccupied with money. But what was it? He was engaged in religiosity. He thought he was better than other people. And in his religious hypocrisy, as a Pharisee, he persecuted the Christians. That, my friends, is just as much a sin. And so what you need to understand that even so-called moral people uh, are engaged in sin. And we need to understand this. Uh, he was once such a powerful example of that. 
as he persecuted Christians. So he was a moral man, but not a godly man. Do you see the difference? You can be a moral man, but not a godly man. All right? Because God views the morality of man as down here. You understand? Down here where God's level of religiosity and, and perspective is so much more elevated. So much more elevated. I, I once was affiliated with a, with a man in a school uh, who was an uh, expert in ethics. He came out of the Bill Bennett School of Ethics. He served under Bill Bennett uh, in Washington, D.C. And you know Bill Bennett wrote the Book of Virtues. Uh, I had the pleasure to meet Bill Bennett. Uh, and so he taught this course on, on living a virtuous life, an ethical life. And it came out of the Greek uh, Aristotelian examples. Uh, and it was about uh, living an ethical life. And finally, I said to him, you know what? And he, and he wanted our schools to adapt it, and they did <coughs> uh, when I was a, the president of a private school. <coughs> and the school adapted it and, it, and it went so well from kindergarten through the 12th grade that we got a Blue Ribbon Award from Excellence. Uh, I went to the White House and received that award. Someday, in another time and place, I'll tell you about that experience with Bill Clinton. Uh, I'm not going to do it now. But, but uh, I, I received that award. All right? Uh, and I said to my friend, this doctor, I said, you know what the problem is uh, with uh, ethics and studying that? You don't have grace. He was a devout Catholic. He looked at me and he said, you're, you're right. You don't have grace. You see, what God has given you, uh, as he's given you the ability and the willingness to walk a righteous, holy light, he has not given you a proscription of do this, do that, do this, do that. Instead, he has changed your life, and he's given you the grace to live that way. If I study ethics, no matter how great they are or how uplifting they are, without the grace of of God, I'm failing. You understand? Now you understand where we are as Christians. This is what separates us from the world uh, and why it's so important. Uh, and, and we see that as an example in his life. Uh, and so this becomes a critical analysis for us as Christians. What do we need to do? We need to be in a state of holiness. We need to walk with the Lord every day we need to pick up the cross and carry it. Yes, we're going to sin. Yes, we're going to fall. But God is going to inspire you to lift you up and to change that character because you're not the same man that you were. You understand? That Joe is dead. You're born again under the Spirit of God. Uh, and if you're not, then come and see me and we'll pray about it and ask God to give you a new visitation. But clearly... You need to be walking as a new man in the presence of God. And God will lift you up. He will elevate you. That's what it's about. That's why we're studying Romans chapter 8 uh, this year and why we're going to continue to dig down. Look, this is not about just giving you head knowledge. This is about you understanding what God is doing, but then having the ability to understand it to change your walk. And then when you leave this room, and go out into the world, you can impact other people who desperately need to hear it. We'll continue this next week. Let's close in prayer. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the words that you've given us. I thank you for the, 
for the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Father, I ask you now to touch our men, lift them up, let them see what their shortcomings are and inspire them, Father, to live a holy life. Inspire them to walk with you and to get closer with you. And Father, I ask you that as they leave here and impact the lost, that they bring the word of God to people who desperately need it. And Lord, I ask you to help them to bring people back here who need to hear what we're studying and what we're doing. Bless them, protect them, be with them in every way, and bring them safely back next week to continue the study of your word. We put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. God bless you all.